0: Well, let me welcome you today. I'm so glad that you're here. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online. We're always glad to have you as well. We're starting a new series today, and we're going to be talking about various aspects of stewardship. We're going to talk about serving uh, over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about studying God's Word. We're going to be looking at different things. Now, years ago, I was invited to be a part of the Beeson program with Asbury Theological Seminary. We went to week-long conferences. There would be a module for one week, and it was in different locations. It was three times a year, and it was for three years. In 1997, in the month of May, we flew out to Los Angeles, California. We went to Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church. You can read his book, The Purpose Driven Life, The Purpose Driven Church. Those books are really good and beneficial. While we were out there, he said something that caught my attention. Now, before I tell you what he said, I want to tell you this. Think about it this way. Every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to serve God, right? We are to give to God. We are to study his word, and we're to be involved in fellowship. And what we need is a balance of those things. If we get out of balance, things won't work out right. Think about it this way. If you just serve all the time and you never fellowship, what will happen? you'll burn out if you just study all the time and you never serve you won't be happy rick warren said people who study all the time study god's word but they never serve are the most critical judgmental frustrated people in the church i want you to look around and see if you can see any of them here today <laughs> don't point at them don't say anything just check them out okay But, you know, as soon as he said that, I said, that's exactly right. Because you and I are supposed to be doing the gifts that God gave us. We're not supposed to be critiquing somebody else in the way they serve God, right? That's an amen right there. All right, so we want to have balance. Now, here's what we do. All of us have things we like to do and things we don't like to do. And if we're not careful we'll get out of balance. That's why we need to really think about now am I serving? Am I giving? Am I studying God's word? Am I involved in fellowship? If I do those things, I'll have more balance. I'll be more at peace with God and those around me. Now, many of Jesus' early followers in the first century were Jews. He was Jewish, and it was just natural that Jewish people followed him. They called him rabbi. They had a Jewish scripture. He was Jewish, and he seemed to be the fulfillment of the Jewish scripture, is this the Messiah or should we look for another? The Jewish people said, this is a continuation of what we've always done. In other words, now that Jesus is here, we're just going to continue to do business as usual. All the things we've learned all of our lives, those are the things we're going to continue to do. And Jesus said, no, I came to bring something totally new. You're not going to do Passover anymore. Now you're going to celebrate communion, and it's about me and my life, and it's all about me. And that's what he, what he was saying. And they were shocked when he said that. That was so foreign. That was so radical to what they were used to. But Jesus had to help them understand I'm the son of God and I've come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I want you to know there's a new way of doing things. We're not going to do the things we used to do the old way but we've got something new to do now. And so that's what happened. Now here's what happened. A lot of the Jewish folks in that day who had become Christians when they started trying to reach other people so they could become Christians. They said, well, I guess the best thing for you to do is in order for you to be a Christian, you need to be Jewish. So I think you ought to start there. and then when you learn how to be Jewish, we'll teach you, then later on you can become a Christian. But that was very complicated. They had 600 different laws that they followed. They had to go to the temple. A lot of things that didn't make any sense to people who were trying to become Christians, that's what they wanted them to do. Jewish Christians said, well, listen, we did it, and if we can do it, you can do it. If you're an adult, suck it up, buttercup. Let's make it happen. Come on, you do what we did. And there was this big conflict in the church, and some people believed one way and some people believed the other. And there was the first meeting of the first century New Testament church. And in that meeting, it's recorded in Acts chapter 15. I want to encourage you, go home this afternoon, read the entire chapter, Acts 15, for yourselves. There's other things in chapter 2 and other places. Chapter 4, you can learn a lot. But if you read it, you begin to see what the church was all about, what the church was called to be, what Jesus intended for the church. Now, one of the groups said that Gentiles have to be Jewish then to become Jesus followers. The other group said, no, they don't have to go through all that. They can just become Christians. It can go easily. Now, let me just ask you, are there any Gentiles here today? Go ahead and look around. If you're single, this could be your chance. One child in the back, raise their hand. I'm a Gentile. That's right. Only one who knew the right answer right back there in the back. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, Okay. And you can tell just by looking, look at, don't these people look like Gentiles to you? And so it's important for us to understand, well, what does that mean? Jesus said, no, no, I've come to do a brand new thing. You don't have to be Jewish in order to be a follower. So this conflict, it was, well, is Jesus a continuation of what we've done in the past, or is he something new that he's going to do now? And so they were battling back and forth with that. So finally, Peter stands up and gives a speech, and he says, I understand how you feel. He said, I understand why you think folks need to become Jewish before they become Christians, because that's what I used to believe. But then I had an experience. I had an encounter with this guy in, my, in a home, in a Gentile's home, his name was Cornelius. You can read about that in there, too. And from that, some things happened, and my life changed. Paul stood up after that, and he said, I agree with Peter. What he's saying is correct. I've been all over this part of the world. Men and women are embracing Jesus Christ, and they're becoming followers of his. And we don't require them to become Jews before they become followers. So now Peter and Paul stood up and gave leadership. Some more people stood up and said that. So a lot of people said, well, okay. Let's do that then. That'll be the right thing to do. And so in Acts chapter 15, that was a really, really big deal. And and there was a a pivot there. And things changed. And it was not going to be the way it used to be. Things were going to be different now. and and then there was a guy named James we talked about Gentiles a minute ago when Carmel was up here and this guy James was a brother of Jesus and he listened to all this conversation they had a meeting and it was the first meeting that, that book of Acts that's what that was about and he listened to everybody else talking and then he stands up and says this in Acts 15 when they finished James spoke up brothers he said listen to me It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Now, I want you to catch that for just a minute. What's he saying? He's saying, we're so excited that people want to be followers of Jesus Christ. Let's not make it difficult for them to do that. Let's make it as easy as we possibly can. Now, I want you to ask yourself this question. How well do we do that today? Several years ago, I had that opportunity when I was out there in California, and Rick Warren said what he said, and he got my attention. And and I, I learned that, you know, there's a difference in members of the church and disciples. The Great Commission doesn't say, go into all the world and make members. It says, go into all the world and make disciples. Years ago, I had the privilege of starting a new church. When I was the pastor there, the first year I was there, we were the fastest growing church in the district, in the Pensacola district. And we had a lot of people join, and half of them were joining on profession of faith. They were new Christians. But over time, what I began to see was these people are new Christians. They've come in, they've taken the vows to be members, but they don't really understand what it means to be a disciple. So what I need to do is I need to teach them more. And so I started taking those courses that I was going to, those places I was going and the books we were reading, and I started teaching those books. And I would teach them about what it meant to be a Christian. And, and so I would give them the book in advance, and they would read it. And, and I would uh, lecture for an hour and they would listen, and I would give them my outline afterward. And in the next class, they said, "Hey, next time, give us the outline before the class, so we can look over." So I started. Doing, now they were getting it several different ways. About halfway through the class that year, we had several classes. This woman came up to me after the class. She said, "All this time, I've been reading these books you wanted me to read, and I've been thinking to myself, why do I?" have to read these books. Joe needs to read these books. I don't need to read these books. And I mean, it took her that long to catch on. And then she said, tonight, while I was sitting here, I realized that I have a responsibility to help fulfill the Great Commission. She said, you know what I got to do now? I gotta go back and read all those books all over again. Because the whole time I was reading them, I was thinking, Joe needs to do this. But what you were trying to get me to see was I need to do this. Now I get it. And the light bulb came on. Now listen, my point is this. If it's that difficult to help someone become a disciple, become a follower of Jesus Christ, then we gotta be very intentional about doing. It. Did you know it takes five to seven years to take a person who is far from God and help them become disciples. Now, I never heard that statistic, but I was seven miles from Hurlburt Air Force Base, and I only had those guys there about five years, and then they would move them somewhere else. And I didn't even have them there when they were there because they were special ops. Their wives and their children would be at church, and I'd have to watch the news to find out where they were, right? And so it was a real challenge to help them be discipled five to seven years, and after five years, they would move them and they would go somewhere else. And then I heard that statistic, and I said, well, I could have told you that. I said, we've got to speed up the process of discipling people, so we got real intentional about doing that. And I saw some real breakthroughs, but one guy who stayed a little bit longer, and his wife was really upset that he wasn't just moving on up the ladder, he learned more in the last two years than he did the first several years because he grew exponentially. And later on, they came along, and they gave him a great promotion. And he actually went to D.C., and he, he was up there among the big wigs, and, and he just went up fast. He did really well. But, you know, God had a plan. And they would leave the church, and they would go all over the world. And they would say, when you go to Navarre, go to Navarre Methodist Church. When you're at Hurlburt, if you're at Eglin, then you go to this church. And when they moved back, they would come there and they would share. But we lost so many, they would leave all the time. It was a real challenge. Now, here's what we did. I went to one of those institutes, one of those weeks-long things, and it was in Dayton, Ohio. And this guy there had been saying this for years, and I would fought it, and he said, people, people need to take a class before they join the church so they really understand what they're committing to. And so I didn't do it for years, but finally I saw I need to help these people. I'm not helping them. I'm doing them a disservice. And so we said, we require you to take a new member class before you join the church. And people said, well, I've been going to church all my life. Why do I need to take a class? And we said, just relax and take the class. People take it all the time. You can already be a member. You can be new to the church. Anybody can take it, and you can offer it, and then you can grow because you took it. And when they take it, they come back and they say, well, you know, I learned some things. That was a pretty good class. I'll have to admit, I understand now why you wanted me to do it. And so we began to see disciples being made here at Woodlawn, Woodlawn Way. It's a class once a month. You can take it. It's a blessing. You'll learn a lot from it. It'll be beneficial to you. So I want to encourage you. Yeah, we want to make it easy for people, but we also want to make sure what we're teaching them is what they need to hear, what they need to know. So here's a question all of us have to ask at some point. Who is Jesus? When you answer that question, then that helps you with your faith. You can take the next step when you decide who Jesus is. If he was just a neat guy who lived a long time ago, that's one thing. But if he was really the Messiah, the Son of God, it makes all the difference in the world. And as followers of Christ, that's what we believe. And so you have to wrestle with that question. And then as a church, we assume that there are first-time guests in the room every week when we come to worship. Did you know that there are first-time guests here in all the services every time we come to worship? Did you know that? Well, you ought to. I just told you. (laughs) They're a first-time guest every week. And so we can't assume that they know what we're talking about. If I talk about my wife, I say, my wife, Laura. Most of you know my wife is Laura. But if you're a first-time guest, you don't know that. We just try to think in terms of how can we relate to these folks and help them understand things. Because our knowledge is not common knowledge. So we're all the time trying to look at things from a new person's perspective. What do they see when they come here? That's what I want to talk about today. Just three things I want to mention from a a first-time guest perspective. Number one, what do they see? What do they see? I think they see friendly people who greet them and want to talk with them. I I think they see a really nice welcome center with water and coffee and food. I think they see people of all ages and backgrounds. I think they see well-kept facilities. Now, what do you do at your house when you're expecting guests? That's right, you clean. Amen. <laughs> Sometimes we have people over, and Laura says, we are going to clean the house before these people come, and it's got to be to her standard. And she says, you are going to do this. And I say, baby, do we really? Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. We're cleaning the house, so I'll be quiet. And we clean the house, and then people come. When you're expecting company, you clean the house, right? And so that's what but now I like to have company. Sometimes I invite people over just so Laura will cook. <laughs> Cause she's a good cook and it's worth cleaning the house if she's gonna cook for me, right? And so I say, come on over because I want something good to eat. Come on over and visit. They think it's about them. It's really about me. No, I'm just joking. But let me ask you a question. When does your house look the best? It's when you have company. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. This building, this facility, whose house is it? It's God's house. That's what the Bible says, isn't it? But now listen, just think about it for just a minute. If we are children of God, and we're part of the family of God, and he is our father, isn't it just natural to go to his house? He wants his kids to come over. So in a way, yeah, it's his house, but it's kind of our house too. Because he allows us to be good stewards of it. So when you come to God's house and your house, how do you treat it? If you go in the bathroom after this service and somebody's had an accident in there and there's water all over the counter because they somehow missed the sink in there for some reason, what do you do? You clean it up. That's right. Who cleans it up? Yeah, that's right. You don't say, hey, there's water in there. Go clean it up, do you? You clean it up. Why? Because it's your house, right? You want to take care of it, don't you? Do you do that when people are looking? Well, I'm sure you do. Do you do it when they're not looking? Well, that's what we all do. Hey, if you walk out and somebody has dropped paper all over the floor, what do you do about that? You clean it up, right, because it's your house. And and you want this place to be set because we got first-time guests coming every week. We want to take care of it. Now, years ago, I was serving a church, and, and I went into the restroom, and I noticed that in the restroom, we needed the plumber's helper. Are you familiar with this tool? If you're not, you will be someday. And so I went in there. I got the the plumber's helper. I went in. I took care of business. I came back out, and this guy walked in, and I didn't know why he was coming, but he walked in, and he saw me carrying that back to the closet, and he just smiled, a great big smile. He was a person who'd been visiting the church. I didn't know why he was there. He was coming to see me. He came to say, hey... I've been visiting. I want to be a part of the church. I want to join what I need to do. And when he saw me carrying that plumber's helper, I will always be convinced that that solidified his decision to make that his church family. He said, hey, These people care about their house. They take care of it. I want to be a part of a church like that. The church I was serving was a new church, and it was 1,200 feet from the highway to the back of the property, but it was 400 feet uh, from the highway to the first building, so it was a long distance all the way back there, okay? And up around the building, there was grass and flowers and plants and shrubbery and everything was just spick and span. But out by the highway, there was just a ditch out there because the county took care of that and maintained it. And then there was a median out there. And people would fly by about 60 miles an hour. I had a three-second look at our church out there coming down the highway because we built the new sanctuary out in front of that later on. But, but you didn't even know it was there if you didn't look. And so I said to myself, you know, people can't see the way we take care of things up here, out there. And so I went out there with a push lawnmower, and I started mowing the median on the highway with a push mower. And I mean, there were people from the church who saw me. There were preachers of other churches I knew who saw me. People honked at me all the time and waved real big when they saw me out there because I went out there at rush hour. Because I'm no dummy. I wasn't back there after dark weed and stuff behind the building. I was out there. I wanted people to see me because I wanted them to know we care about the church. And so I started cutting that grass. And we went and got sod, and we laid sod up there by the road. And we started mowing that and maintaining it, and it looked spick and span. And when they were driving down the highway, this grass would be up in the median, this high, and then they would get to this one little spot in front of our church, and, man, it would be all manicured and cut and look really good. And they would look at it, and they would go, these people really care about their church, don't they? I think I want to go to that church. And then the lay people in the church, they started looking, and they said, you know what? We can do that. And I said, praise God. (laughs) And they started going out there and cutting the median and taking care of it, and people drove by, and they said, hey, these people, they care about their church. One preacher friend of mine came by there. He still teases me today about my lawnmower ministry. So you got that lawnmower ministry out there, and he had climbed on his roof to clean out his gutters, and he was home alone, and the ladder fell, and he was left on the roof. he didn't have cell phones back then, and he had to wait till his wife got home from the grocery store he couldn't get down, and I would tease him about his gutter ministry, my lawnmower ministry, his gutter ministry after that. But you know what? What I was communicating is what we all try to communicate. Hey, God has blessed us. We've been fortunate. We've been given a place that's wonderful. It's a free country. We have a building, a facility that's very nice. We ought take care of it, but we ought to do it for the right reasons, for God and for others, so that they might feel a part of things here. The second thing is, what do they hear? What do folks hear about this church? They hear caring from the worship leader, the person who prays the prayer on Sunday morning, the people who share their testimonies. We hear music that blesses us in worship. We hear great preaching. We hear what? Wait just a minute. Why are you laughing? We have associate ministers. Think about it. They do a good job. But it's an opportunity. We do our best, don't we? And we find ways to connect. What are the different ways we can get connected in the life of the church? Do we have a good reputation in the community? When you hear about Woodlawn, what comes to mind? And you know, when I first came here, we didn't have a preschool, a, a, a CDC. A child development center. We had the facilities. The church had wanted to do it. It just never had materialized. I had started one in another church. I did it out of necessity. Our daughter Elizabeth was three. My wife went back to teaching school. And so we started a preschool, and she was one of the first ones to go in there. Our younger daughter Catherine went through it too. I said, We need a preschool here. I said, It'll be a It'll be a blessing to the community. It'll be a mission we can do. And it's one avenue that people will come to the church. They'll put their kids in the preschool. They might try worship here as well. So it's a mission. It's a ministry. It's an evangelistic tool. And so we need to do that. And I found Sylvia Small, and I put her in a headlock. And I took her her to the children's building, and I said, stay in there and don't come out. And then I went back to my office, and that's the last thing I ever did. And it just took off after that, you know. And she did a great job with it, right? Well, we've still got a waiting list now. You know, it's just the same way everywhere. You can't get enough of that. And just this month, we recently went to Jacksonville. We met with some architects. We're developing a new master plan. We didn't build anything because we didn't know if we would own this property when we disaffiliated. But we do. We own it all. And we, it's free and clear. And we're totally debt free. And praise God for that, right? <laughs> And so now we're meeting with architects this month to develop a brand new master plan. One of the first things on there is a new preschool wing. Do you have your checkbooks with you? Tell you what you do. You just sign your name and let me fill it out for you, okay? Million dollars, we can build that preschool wing. See me after the service, we can take care of I can make it happen really quick, okay? Because we're debt free, and it's my job to get us in debt. That's what I'm here for, right? <laughs> to get us back in debt so we can move forward. But you know, we can reach more people. When I got here, there was a lady named Betty McNitt. And she came to me, and she got me in a headlock. And she said, hey, we need a food pantry, and all we got is this little bitty closet back here, and we don't even have it exclusively. There's other junk in there. We need a a building. We need some room. And so we were able to get a, a temporary building. We put it behind the worship center, and we said, hey, this is our We Care food pantry and totally run by volunteers. There's not one paid employee who does it. And all the time, people come. I told you last week, you give over $70,000 to that beyond the budget. It's not even in the budget, totally run by volunteers. Anything you give to it, goes straight to help we care, right? And so we got this food pantry. But we want to relocate the food pantry. We want a permanent building. We want another wing on the preschool. We want a building that we can put our buses and vans and lawnmowers because they keep stealing our catalytic converters out there. So we got deer cameras out there if you got any ideas because we got smart and we're watching it. We won't put all that stuff up. And we won't get rid of those temporary buildings back there, but we got to know where to put it. So the architect's going to help us with that. And we're going to be praying about that. I want to ask you to pray about that. And we're coming together to look at that there. You know, Jesus said, I won't always be with you, but the poor will always be with you. Why is that? Because those of us who have need to share with those who don't. And that's what we want to do. We want to be Jesus' hands and feet and heart and voice. We want to be his ears and his eyes. We want to be there for people. Our reputation in the community is you. You're the reputation. When you leave here, the way you act, what you do, the way you drive in Panama City Beach. When you pull in to the parking lot and cut somebody off on Sunday morning because you want their parking place. See, we are the reputation of the church. So wherever we go, People are watching us, and it's an opportunity for us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And we want to do that in a powerful way. The third thing is what do they experience? What do folks experience when they come? I think they experience hope. I think they experience love and acceptance. I think they experience invitation to Bible studies and life groups. I think they experience a warm fellowship here. Is it genuine? Is it believable? Is it authentic? Is it real? Are we approachable? Are we likable? We ought to be the most likable people in town because we've got the best message to share with the world. We ought to be, when people come, they ought to just love coming and being a part of being around us as Jesus followers. And then we need to respect people where they are. When I first started going to church, I don't know anybody who goes to church for all the right reasons the first time. Do you? When I was a kid and I was growing up, a teenager, you had a Baptist church, Methodist church, Presbyterian church. I went to the one, whichever youth group had the prettiest girls, that's the one I went to. Didn't do me any good, but I went. I went in there. I, I took a bath. I combed my hair. I tried. I got out there. But, but, you know, I was just trying to meet somebody. But you know what? Nobody goes to church the first time for all the right reasons. Think about it. So we just need to love people where they are. We don't need to try to make them something they're not when they first get here. We just need to love them. We don't try to force them to do something. We just try to love them into the kingdom. Because I want you to catch this. Jesus said, when he first started, what did he say? When he first started, he came to people and he said, follow me. That's what he said. He did not say, obey me. He did not say, believe in me. The first thing he said when he first came was, follow me. Now, he taught them that other stuff as time went on. He helped them understand what that was all about. But the first thing he said was, follow me. When people see us, they say, you know, i won't to be like that person. i won't to be like that individual. There's something special about them. I see something in them that I don't have and I want, And I want to find out what that is. And I want to be like them. Because if they see Jesus in us, that's what they're looking for. That's who they're looking for. And we're the ones who can help them. And so the Apostle Paul says, hey, we don't need to be judging people outside the church. We just need to be loving people. He says this in 1 Corinthians, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? He said, what we need to do is focus. Now, listen, we need to focus on who we are in here so that out there we can reach those people who are far from God. We don't need to stay inwardly focused totally. We just need to be the people that we need to be, get our house in order, so that when we go out from this place, other people see Jesus in us. And we don't have to critique them. That's not our job. Paul says it is kindness that leads people to repentance. So when somebody comes, we try to respond to them quickly, directly, personally, what do they experience? What do they see? What do they hear? What do they experience? And please never forget, you are the church. Look at the poor person next to you. Point your finger at them and say, you are the church. Go ahead and tell them right now. That's right. Because the church will never be any better, listen, than we are. So we got to be the best we can be. With God's help, we got to be the church that God has called us to be for their benefit. Let's be the kind of church when they hear about us, they want to be a part of it. People don't come to church because somebody coerces them and forces them. People come to church because we're just friendly and attractive and winsome. And really the Holy Spirit draws people. I can't make people pull their car in off the highway out there, but I can be winsome and attractive as I can be when they get here. You ever watch it? Just watch it. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. You ever grow anything? Like water, some plant or something to grow it? You put it in the ground. You water it. You let the sun get to it. You can pray over it and sing to it if you want to, but can you make it come up out of the ground? Only God can do that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul planted, Apollos watered, and who gave the growth? God gave the growth. God grows the church, but you and I got to stay out of the way. (laughs) We got to do our little part we got to be the people who are doing everything he's called us to do the best we can because we're on a mission. I don't care what you do for a living. If you're still breathing, God's got something for you to do. If he didn't, you'd be dead and gone, okay? So if you're still here, God's got a purpose for your life, and it's the mission of reaching the lost, people far from God. So remember, you are the church. The kind of church, what do people say about us in the community when they look at us? And now I want to say this last thing. If you are fully engaged in the church, if you're serving, if you're giving, if you're studying God's word, if you fellowship here, if you're a percentage giver, if you show up early and stay late, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you because you make a difference. If you work back there in hospitality, you make a difference. You just check people out if they don't get coffee in the morning. See how well that works. <laughs> Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. And, and if you're kind to them and if you smile at them and if you welcome them, and maybe you just kind of get to know them and talk to them a little bit and just say, well, I'm glad you're here. And, and listen, don't worry about saying to somebody, Hey, I don't think we've met. Don't worry about that. Well, I hate to say anything because they may have been coming here longer than I have. It doesn't matter. It's not a contest. Just say to them, I don't believe we've met. My name is. What's yours? It's just an opportunity to, to introduce yourself. And they've been, been coming since right after the earth cooled. It doesn't really matter because you've just made a new friend, Right? just want to make sure this microphone was still working there. We are a part of the family of God, and it's a blessing that we get to do that. And if you're at that point in your life, and maybe you're sitting home watching online, and maybe you've already raised your children, and they're grown and gone, and maybe you you this was your church family, and it still is, but you're at home because you've gotten out of the swing of things with COVID, and you're sitting there, I just want to say to you, I'm glad you're tuning in. I always want to see you. I want you to see us, but we need you. You've got, you're, you're flexible now. You don't have the kind of time you used to have, you know, the kind of uh, schedule you used to have. I know people who are retired, they say, listen, I'm busier now than I was before, and I believe that. But you can serve, and, and you've got wisdom, and you've got experience, and you've got something to offer the rest of us who are here. And so I want to just encourage you. It'll be harder for you to get integrated back into the life of the church. But I want to encourage you, if you're still here, God's got something for you to do. If you're not dead, then he's got a purpose for you to be here. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for your blessing on our lives. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the answer. Thank you that we can share it with others in Jesus' name, that we can help them come to know you. You save them, Lord. You convict them, but we do our little part and then we just watch you do the rest. We get a front row seat to watch you every day and we're so grateful for that. We thank you and we're gonna be your witnesses in this world. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said,